Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings in chapter number 5. The book of 2 Kings in chapter number 5. We are continuing with our series of Elijah and Elisha. And as we're starting on the downhill slide of this, we're continuing to see some action-packed stories dealing with Elijah and Elisha. It seems like things are always happening around them. Things are always occurring, including one that came to him in this case here. And we find our way to the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. Now we've already prepped this message on Wednesday night by putting attention on the little maid and praise the Lord for what God did in the life of this little maid and how she prompted this entire event. Here's a little maid that eight years old, she had been kidnapped from her home country. Her parents had been murdered before her eyes and now she was in the role of a slave but she didn't have any bitterness and she wanted her master to be healed. And she had prompted all of this event that we find in the book of 2 Kings chapter number 5 in it trying to be a help. And we again, we've already put a whole message on her, so we're not going to put a lot of emphasis this morning. But we find our way to the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. And notice with me starting at verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord hath given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that was in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is in the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter, he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. 
And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he surely would come out to me, and stand and call on the name of his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abna and Farfa rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in a rage. And his servants came and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet did bid thee some great thing, wouldest thou not done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? And he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, and like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all of his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant." But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. But he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord." In this the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth to the house of Rimmon to worship there, he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. And when I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, God the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. And he departed from him a little way. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, will you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 2 Kings chapter 5? It's put together in a couple different ways all throughout the scripture. But if you don't mind, in verse number 13 at the very end, wash and be clean. Wash and be clean. And with this, we're going to see this idea here of wash and be clean as Elijah deals with the lordly leper. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you that we can trust your word and that your word is enough. Lord, as we come here and examine the, the response of Naaman, we can see that it's actually a common response. Because you make salvation and deliverance so simple. I'm asking that the simplicity of your gospel would be clear today. The simplicity of your message of wash and be clean would be so simple that people would be willing to follow it. They would be able to set aside their own misconceptions and preconceptions and just obey what your Bible clearly says. Lord, we know that this is a supernatural work, so we ask and depend upon your Holy Spirit now. Even now, let that same Spirit fill me and that you would give me the words to say. And the thoughts to think. We love you Lord. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. So here we have the account. Of not a Hebrew person. Not an Israelite. 
but a man who lives in the country of Syria. In fact, Naaman's claim to fame, according to people who study history, was he was the unnamed archer who was used to kill Ahab. Remember, Ahab had dressed up in civilian clothes so nobody could recognize who he was. And God had allowed an unnamed archer to pull back his bow and that arrow pegged uh, Ahab in between his armor and he killed him just as God had said. Well, this was Naaman's claim to fame. Many people believe this was him. And because of that, he got promoted through the ranks. He was the one who was used to deliver, the Bible says here in uh, chapter 5, in verse number 1. And Naaman, the captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Many people believe that this was him. He delivered... um, He was used by God to get rid of Ahab. And now he's celebrated. He's now a general within the armies. He was highly respected. But he had a problem. If you don't mind, the first thing I'd like to show you here is Naaman's miserable condition. Naaman's miserable condition. This is a man... At the very end, it describes what's wrong with him in verse number one. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Leprosy in the ancient world was called the stroke of God. In Israel, a man that was to be known under this condition was instantly cut off from the nation. He had to stand away from everyone and say, unclean, unclean. He wasn't allowed to be a part of society anymore because of this disease. Now, some people have some misconceptions about leprosy. They have the idea that if you get leprosy, that automatically your arm's going to fall off and your leg's going to fall off. It's not that, but it is bad enough. What would happen is that little... Uh, blisters would open up, pustulars, and then pus would leak all over. It would be easy to get infected with other diseases. And basically you were a walking Petri dish with infections all the time. And uh, (laughs) this was a disease that allowed other diseases to come. And it would start off for him (laughs) differently. Now we know that in Syria that the quarantine code was different than the Hebrew law. God had instituted the the idea of quarantine and keeping the leprosy away. But because of a man of his station, he was allowed to still be a part of society. He was still allowed to keep his post as general. He was still allowed to do the things that he needed to do. But he was in a condition that was not going to get better. Leprosy at this time was uncurable. They didn't understand how diseases work. They didn't understand the idea of antibodies and how to protect people from uh, the different microorganisms which they did not know was exist. But this was a bad thing that was uncurable. For him, it started off as a spot. Maybe it was something on his arm. And for a while he would look at it and just say, oh no. And he would keep it covered. And he was able to try to cover it for a while. But that leprosy would continue to spread. It would continue to grow. It would continue just to make him more miserable until he was at the place where he couldn't hide it. We know in the Bible that leprosy is a type or a picture of sin. And so here is a man with leprosy. And if he wants help, he has to face his miserable condition and recognize I have something that I cannot cure myself. I have something that cannot be fixed himself. The idea of hiding his leprosy would not make it go away. The same thing's true of sin. You understand that sin, 
in order for it to be dealt with, has to be faced. People have to recognize that they have a sin problem. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. You know what that means? It means every single one of us deal with sin. Every single one of us have sin in our life. What is sin? It is the breaking of God's law. It is the trespass against God's commandments. It is missing the mark. That the Bible has given us things like the Ten Commandments. God's rules of holiness on this earth. One of those Ten Commandments is thou shall not bear false witness. The Bible said, or we would put it this way, don't tell lies. Well, every single one of us have lied. Let me prove it to you. If you've ever told a lie, would you raise your hand? Now, if you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. Because all of us have told a lie. You know, the Bible gives in the Ten Commandments that to honor thy father and thy mother. Well, every one of us have disobeyed our folks from time to time. Let's prove it. If you've ever disobeyed your folks, raise your hand. Right now, parents are looking at their kids to make sure they're raising their hands. Because we've broken that law. And those are just two commandments. We could go on to discuss all ten and find that all of us have broken them in some sort, in some fashion. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, what do you do with that sin? Well, the idea of just covering up or pretend it doesn't exist doesn't take care of the problem. Just like leprosy. In order for it to be dealt with, Naaman had to admit that there was a problem. It's not going to go away. There's nothing he could do on its own. He can't just cover it up. It won't go away if you just ignore it. Sin is a miserable condition and it has to be dealt with. So we start off by examining Naaman's miserable condition. Then as we move on, we see not only his miserable condition, but we see his mistaken misconception. His mistaken conception. Now, Naaman's mistakes, he makes several of them, almost keeps him from being saved, from being delivered from a situation. Notice as we see what happens in verse number two. And the Syrians had come out by companies and had brought away captive of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. So here's this little girl that had been captured from Israel. And she was made a slave. But notice her little faith. In verse number three, and she said unto her mistress, would God, my Lord, with a prophet that was in Samaria, for he would recover him of the leprosy. Here's this little girl out of all innocence. She has nothing against her master. She's willing to forgive her master, even though her parents would be killed and she's serving as a slave. She goes, I know how he could be healed. He could be healed if he could just get to the preacher. The preacher would tell him what to do. If he could just get to the preacher, get to the man of God. The man of God would tell him what the Bible said, what God's word said. That's all he needed to do was to get to the man of God. And so here's her forgiveness. Here's her faith. And she says, my master could be healed if he could just get to the man of God. That's all he had to do is get to the man of God. So we come to Naaman's first mistake. That he went to the wrong person. He went to the wrong person. Notice with me. So the information gets to him in verse 4. And one came in and told his Lord saying, Thus and thus the little maid 
that is of the land of Israel. Hey, did you hear what the little maid said? She said, you can be healed. Well, I want to get healed. How do I get healed? All you have to do is get to the man of God in Israel. So notice what happens, verse 5. And the king of Syria said, go to, go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. And he brought a letter to the king of Israel saying, Now when this letter is come to thee, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to thee that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Well, the wrong person was going to the king of Israel instead of the prophet. The king of Israel received this letter one day. Can you imagine? Hey, there's a dispatch letter from the king of Syria. Okay, let's see what it says. I'm sending my servant Naaman for you to heal him. Get him healed or else. Well, I can't do anything about this. Leprosy is an uncurable disease. And now the king of Israel says, what am I supposed to do with this? I can't do this. He thought it was a conspiracy. He said, oh man, I know what the king of Syria is doing. He sent me a request, and because I'm going to tell him I can't do this request, he's going to declare war on me. This is all a setup. He's trying to get to me. Well, the problem was, is the king of Israel couldn't do anything in the first place. In order for Naaman to get healed, he had to go to the right person. He had to go to the right person. You know, the same thing's true about sin. Again, we're doing the comparisons In order to get forgiveness of sins, in order to take care of your sins, you have to go to the right person. Who is the right person? It is only by the name of Jesus. It is only by Jesus can people get healed. We know that people try to go to different sources. Let me tell you, the Pope cannot heal you. The Pope cannot forgive your sins. Let me tell you that Muhammad cannot forgive you of your sins. Confucius cannot heal you of your sins. Joseph Smith cannot heal you from your sins. Eddie Baker, uh, whatever Smith, whatever her names end up being, she cannot forgive you of your sins. Let me tell you, your pastor cannot forgive you of your sins. Your husband, your parents cannot forgive you of your sins. It is only by Jesus and Jesus alone. And if if you need forgiveness of your sins, which we all have sins, it only comes by the right person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only by the name of Jesus that people can be healed. It is only by calling upon his name shall we be saved or delivered from our miserable condition. And we have to go to the right person. Again, we know that there's many people who realize that there are sinners. But they do not get delivered because they don't go to the right person. It is only by Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone. If you don't mind, not only did he have the wrong person, but he also had the wrong price. He had the wrong price. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number five. And the king of Syria said, go to and go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he, that's Naaman, departed and took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold And ten changes of raiment. Here we see Naaman. He brings a whole treasury. 
He is going with the idea that he wants to purchase salvation. I'm going to go to whoever I need to go to. I don't care if it's the king of Israel. I don't care if it's some prophet. If whoever it is, I'm willing to pay them to go ahead and do whatever they need to do. And the problem is, is that salvation is for free. There's nothing you could do to pay for it. In fact, he insists on in paying for it even after he's healed. He goes up and says, here's money, take it all. No, it can't because salvation is free. In the late 90s, USA Today did a poll to the top 1% of wealth in America. So the very tippy top of all the wealth in America. And they did a poll, a survey that said, if you could buy anything with money, no matter how imaginary it would be, what would you buy and how much would you be willing to pay for it? And the top 10 answers had things like this, eternal youth or eternal beauty. And they had different things and the figures they would have. But number one on the list of the top 1% of wealth in America, when they were polled, what would they want above everything else and how much would they be willing to pay for it? That above and beyond everything else on that list was eternal life. And the top 1% of the wealth was willing to pay upwards of $800,000, almost a million dollars, for them to know without a doubt that they could have eternal life. Well, you see, the problem is, is not all of us have a million dollars. In fact, we don't have any millionaires in here, and I doubt if we have any thousandaires in here. You know, if God had made it so in order to go to heaven, you had to pay a million dollars, most people would not be able to go to heaven. That is why God made the... The price tag, free. In the book of Romans, chapter 6 and verse 23, it says this, For the wages of sin is death. That means because of our sin, the wage we owe God is death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For example, if I was to hand someone a gift, and I would say, this is your gift, what must you do to make that yours? That's right. Did you have to pay me money for it? Did you have to mow my lawn? You didn't have to be nice to me. All you had to do was take it. The same thing's true about going to heaven. To go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. You say, but you're a preacher and you're telling people they don't have to go to church? I'm saying in order to go to heaven, you don't have to go to church. In order to go to heaven, you don't have to put money and give money to the church. To go to heaven, you don't even have to help little old ladies cross the street. Now, all those things are good things and things that we should do, but those things will not get us to heaven. That in order to go to heaven, we have to pay the right price. And what is that price? It's free. God made it so you don't have to pay anything. God made it so the oldest saint or the youngest child with understanding could go to heaven because Jesus paid the price. He made it so it doesn't matter what social economic range you're in. Everyone could afford to go to heaven. Because the price tag is free. You cannot pay your way into heaven. 
The price tag is free. God has made it so anyone and everyone can accept. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave it, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The price tag is free. You don't have to pay anything in order to go to heaven. Now remember, Naaman here, he had some mistaken conceptions. He had some things that he almost didn't go to get forgiveness, didn't get his uh, leprosy cleansed because he was trusting in the wrong things. He tried to trust in the wrong person. You have to have the right person and that's Jesus Christ. He tried to pay the right wrong price. The price tag was free. There was nothing he could do to pay to earn the, what God was willing to give him for free. So he had the wrong person. He had the wrong price. He also had the wrong procedure. He had the wrong procedure. So notice, we know that Elisha had heard about the note coming from the king of Israel. And Elisha said, tell him to come on. Come on. Tell him to come to me. So notice, if you don't mind, what happens in verse number 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariots and stood outside the door of the house of Elisha. So he got directions to the preacher's house. He shows up at the preacher's house. And what happens? And Elisha sent a messenger to him. You know what Elisha's trying to do? He's trying to say, it wasn't even the man of God that saves you. He sent a message out to him. And he sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash into the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth. He was mad. So the preacher sent a message that says, All you have to do is go into the Jordan, wash seven times, and you'll be clean. That's it. But Naaman was wroth. He was mad. Behold, I thought surely he would come out to me and stand to call upon the name of the God. What he wanted to show, and he wanted the man of God to strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. He had in mind that the, that the preacher would come out, and he would come out with great fanfare, and said, Now thus saith the Lord, and lightning would come down, and fireworks would come, and a big show would happen. He said, that's what I was expecting. I was expecting something, instead of, the preacher didn't even come out and send a messenger boy. Hey, go wash in the river seven times. That's all I get. No magic wand. No abracadabra. No magic words. Nothing. In fact, notice what happens. He's still mad. He starts saying, you know, these rivers, I could have went there. Verse 13. And his servants came near and spoke unto him saying, my father, if the prophet bid thee some great thing, wouldn't thou not have done it? Wouldn't thou rather then that he said, wash and be clean? You see, the, <laughs> what he wanted to do is he expected to fulfill some quest. This is what he had in mind. He was going to come out to the preacher's house. The preacher was going to come out with great fanfare. You might imagine his nice little hat with a bent end and a big staff and a big flowing beard. And he comes out and says, what you would need to do is you need to go to the great mountains of Gilagora. And up there you're going to find in the caves of 
blasphemy, you're going to find in there a great dragon. And if you defeat that dragon and you take the secret egg and you replace it with a, a bag of sand and you come by and you avoid the rolling ball that chases after you, that you'll come by and you'll get what you've earned your way into healing. But that wasn't it all. Naaman was prepared to go in some great quest. He was ready to earn his salvation. He was ready to earn deliverance. But that's now how it works. Wash and be clean. That's it. Just trust in the blood of Jesus. Trust in that and you will be healed. You know today, people want to help God. Do his work. There's something about us that we just want to do something. And God says you don't have to do anything. God does all the work. There are some people that have in mind that I, I could get God's favor. For example, Martin Luther. Before he came to know Christ as his savior. He was a Catholic monk. And he did everything he could to try to get God's favor. There were times that he was a flatulent. That means he actually took a whip. And in the mornings, he would beat himself so badly because he's trying to say, God, look, I'm really sorry, please. But that didn't save him. There were times he says, I'm going to take a vow. I'm not going to eat anything. And there were places, times that he would starve himself because he's trying to say, God, forgive me. Look at how serious I am. And look, I'm willing to starve myself. That the actual other monks inside of the monastery had to feed him because he was going to die. And that didn't remove his need of salvation. He still needed to be saved. He said, I know, I'll go to Rome. If I could go to Rome, if I could go to the great place of, of this center city, if I could go to Rome and I could do the sights and I could see the, the artifacts, that I will get the salvation. I'll earn my way to salvation. And it didn't. He was there at Rome and they, the Catholic Church had brought something they called Pilate Stairs. And supposedly, according to legend, these were the same stairs that Jesus had to march up to in order to, um, to, <clears throat> to see Pilate and to get his judgment. And so the Catholics had put the stairs here. And many people, in order to earn their salvation, would crawl up the stairs on their knees and get to the stair. And they would pray, God, please, please, see I'm serious about it. And they would go up the other stair and each stair that they would pray. But it didn't do anything. It did not give him salvation because he could not earn it himself. There was no quest. There was nothing he could do. It wasn't until Martin Luther opened up the Bible and read through the book of Romans and the book of Galatians. And they share the same verse. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. It was there by his own testimony that everything opened up and he realized he couldn't do anything. It was Jesus and Jesus alone. All I had to do was trust him at his word. That was all that was required. I didn't have to do all of these things. It was just take God at his word. It was that simple. Naaman's mad because it's too simple. That's too easy. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's too easy. Certainly I got to do something. No, you don't. 
Just take God at his word. That's it. Take God at his word. So we could see he had some misconceptions. He went to the wrong person. He tried to pay the wrong, wrong price. He thought it was the wrong procedure. Then he thought it was the wrong place. Notice in verse number, uh, chapter 5, in verse number 12. Are not Abna and Farfa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? And by the way, they were cleaner. The Jordan River was a dirty river, still is. He said, I got to go to the Jordan River. You expect me to go to this nasty, filthy river and go and bathe in here and it's going to work? Well, you understand that if we're going to get saved and forgiven of our sins, it happens at one place and one place alone. That's Calvary. Jesus died and paid our price. That is the only way we could get forgiveness of sins is by that one place that Jesus paid and washed away our sins. So we understand we start off with Naaman's miserable condition. Then we come to his mistaken conceptions. Then we come to his marvelous conversion. His marvelous conversion. We start off by saying he heard the message. Aren't you glad that he had servants who loved him enough to say, Hey, wait, 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 wait. Why aren't you listening to him? I mean, he asked you to do something that was easy. He wanted something huge and impossible. But this, this is the easiest thing in the world. Go in there and wash seven times. That's it. That was it. So here's Naaman. Fine, I'll listen. I'll try it out. I'll prove you all wrong. So he goes into the Jordan River. You can imagine on the bank is all of his entourage, his servants there. He goes into the river and, all right, let's see if this works. So he washes himself and scrubs and looks. It didn't work. One time, it didn't work. I thought you said it was going to work. Nothing. It doesn't look any better. So he washes the second time. Looks and it's still not working. I'm still diseased. They said seven times. Number three goes in there. He washes and scrubs and nothing. And he gets ready to get out. No, no, no. They said seven times. So he goes in there. Number four. No. Five. It's not working. It's not even any better. He's pulling my leg. Number six. Nothing. Fine, I'll do it one more time. It's not working. It's not going to work. Number seven. He comes out. Wait a second. It's all gone. But notice, it wasn't just gone. But notice this. <laughs> in verse number 14. And he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child and he was clean. It wasn't an old man skin. Some of you have old men skin. It's like baby skin. As smooth as baby bite. Look, it's clean. It's refreshed. This is better than any skin so soft or even Avon program. This is better. Look at this. It, it worked. It's just not. I'm totally washed clean just taking God at his word 
That's all it was, was taking God at his word. And as he took God at his word, it worked. And he was washed whole. It wasn't just partially gone, it was completely gone. And he was restored. Oh, I'm so thankful that all we have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. And he will not just wash us clean. He will cleanse us from the inside out. We'll be forgiven of all of our sins. That's all that's required is taking God at his word. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What's our part? For whosoever believeth in him. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's it. Whosoever believeth in him. That's all that's required. Whosoever believeth in him. So he went back and he's like, look at this. I made a new creature. By the way, that's what the Bible says. That when we're in Christ, we're made a new creature. Behold, all things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. He's now a new creature. He's washed clean just by taking God at his word. And so he comes back and he says, all right, I'm going to let you know there's only one God. All these other gods, there's only one God. And I plan on serving this one God all my life. Now, Elisha, I have to let you know I have to obey my master. And there's sometimes my master's so old that he wants to go to his church. And I have to go with him. And he wants to bow down and worship his false god, Remen. And let me tell I have to obey my master. But when I bow down, I'm not bowing down to this god. I'm bowing down to the god. I just have to obey my master. Elisha said, that's fine. It's understandable. You just have to believe in that one god. And he said, the rest of my life, I'm only going to believe in this one god. That's it. I have to obey my master. I have to go back and I still have to do things in life. But I'm only going to serve one god. There was a difference in life immediately. Immediately there was something changed. And so as we come to you, I'm giving you a simple message. That every single one of us have a condition. A miserable condition of sin. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is no exceptions. But let me tell you, there is a way to be clean. And it's not because of your good works. It's not some great thing you do. It's not because you give to the church. It's not because you help every little old lady you possibly can. It's because of what Jesus Christ and Jesus alone has done. Amen. Taking God at his word. Jesus did all the work for it and it was enough. You don't have to add anything to it. You don't have to add any sacrament. You don't have to add any ordinance. The only thing you have to do is trust God in his word. Believe that he died for you and rose again. He paid the price for you. It is that simple. That simple. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's it. Let me ask you, dear friend. Have you ever taken that simple step? Meaning that someone explained to you that you were a sinner. And because of your sin, you would offended a holy, righteous God. That you have a miserable condition. But that Jesus paid your price. And all you have to do is accept that terms. To accept that gift. To allow him to do that work. That's as simple as it is. How do I receive that gift? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you do is ask for it. Has there ever been a time where you specifically asked God for that gift? Maybe you haven't. Let me tell you that... Because it's so simple, you could accomplish that today. 
In just a moment, we're going to have what is called an invitation. There's nothing magical about the altars, but we're inviting you to receive that gift. Maybe you've said, I've, I, I've been in church, I've heard things, but I've never personally accepted that gift. I don't know for sure that my sins are forgiven. Let me tell you, you can do that now. You don't even need a preacher. All you have to do is talk to God. Now, as a preacher, I would be glad to show you what the Bible says and answer any questions. But all you have to do is ask God. You could even do that now. You could just say something simple by saying, God... The best I know how, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. The best I know how, I'm trusting Jesus to save me. Thank you for saving me. There's no magic words to it. It's crying out with your heart and accepting that free gift that God gave you. That's it. You could do that now. You said, surely it doesn't, it's not that simple. It is. It is. We make things complicated. Like Naaman, he had something in mind. He wanted to help God. Deliver him. God doesn't need any help. He could do it all by himself. So maybe there's someone here that just doesn't know for sure. You don't have it settled. Let me tell you, there's nothing to be embarrassed about, but there's everything about getting it settled now. I'd hate to walk out these doors and find out that someone was in a car accident and they never accepted Christ as their Savior. After hearing a message like this that is clear, what would stop you from getting it settled? Why be like Martin Luther who never got assurance of salvation after he did this and did this and did this? It wasn't until he finally just accepted God's simple word and said that did he get forgiveness of sins. Did he have that weight rolled away? It's not by your works. It's not by works of righteousness in which we have done. It is by Christ's gift and his gift alone. Would you be willing to accept that free gift now? I'm praying for you. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.